How many of you have ever had a disagreement between a friend or family member? Anybody? Pretty universal, right? Okay. How many of you ever had a disagreement with a friend that ended the friendship? Or if it didn't end the friendship, you went from being good friends to being maybe cordial and public but never really speaking or seeing each other again. Anybody? It happens, right? It hurts. And sometimes reconciliation seems impossible. Now, how many of you ever had a disagreement with a family member that ended with you never speaking or seeing each other again? Anybody? It does happen. It's less common. But what's the difference between difficulties we might have with friends or co-workers and the strife that we might experience between family members? These people, for better and for worse, are your brothers and your sisters. They're your parents, your children. They're your cousins, and, well, we know that that side of the family is, has a few screws loose. My family, for instance, are all Trump supporters. I'm not knocking Trump here. By and large, they believe that COVID is exaggerated and that we should treat it like any other virus. This is where Protestant conservatism and atheistic liberalism prove to be two sides of the same coin. Each really believe in survival of the fittest. And like so many who contract COVID-19 and are asymptomatic, in my family, I'm considered what you might call apolitical. I'm a registered Christian socialist. I'm a party of one in New York, as far as I know. When Ada turns 18, we'll be a party of two. That's when we start taking over the world. We've got two years, watch out. But I listen to my family talk about politics and I simply have no frame of reference to understand where they're coming from. Yet they're my family. We see the world so differently and if we were just high school friends, I would block them on Facebook and never look back. But it's my mom, it's my dad, it's my sisters and their families. It's my brother and his family. I can't just walk away. Paul's letter to the Philippians is one of the shorter letters in the New Testament, but it's loaded with complexity. And it's all about a disagreement in the family. Here's the upshot. Yodia and Syntyche are called out and implored to reconcile. Paul doesn't tell us anything else about these two women or their issue with each other, but we know they're not playing nice. But Paul is not proffering some agree-to-disagree nonsense. Paul says that they need to be of the same mind. But Paul also says that this is a matter for the whole community. Everyone in Philippi is answerable for Euodia and Syntyche's relationship becoming one 
in mind. But what does Paul mean by this having one mind business? Earlier in chapter 2, Paul writes saying, Make my joy full so that you may be of the same mind. But then Paul goes on to say that having the same mind means having the same love together in soul. And here's the kicker, minding one thing. Remember Jesus' words to Martha when she's complaining about Mary spending so much time sitting there with Jesus? Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are worried about many things. And then do you remember what he said next? Martha, there's need for only one thing. Jesus is the one thing. For me to live is Christ, says Paul in chapter 1, and to die is gain. What does this look like? Paul goes on in chapter 2, verse 3, saying that being of the same mind looks like doing nothing according to rivalry or vainglory, but rather in humility, esteeming each other as far better than your own selves, each looking not to his own concerns, but rather to the concerns of others. So to be of the same mind is to have the same love together in spirit, minding only Jesus and in humility, putting the concerns of others above our own concerns. When we do this, says Paul, we will have the mind of Christ. And just in case this bit from Paul is not troubling enough for you, he goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 5, that this is the mind of our true self, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, to be human is to have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ is to live in love with all humility. And it is after saying all of this and a whole lot more that Paul calls out Euodia and Syntyche saying, ladies, that's enough. You're focusing on yourselves and not on Jesus. You're noticing only how the other person differs from how you see the world not on how Christ sees all of us in himself. And the most troubling aspect of all of this is that Euodia and Syntyche are just two women in the church. They're not sisters. They, we don't even know if they're friends per se. They're two women in the body of Christ. Yet because they're in the church, they're more than friends. They're even more than family. They're citizens of heaven. And to be citizens of heaven, to be the body of Christ, means that we do not, as Paul writes in 3.19, we do not set our minds on earthly things, 
our mind is to be the mind of Christ. And this gets us to one of the most powerful aspects of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Littered throughout this epistle is Paul's continuous statement to make his joy full, to make his joy complete, to rejoice. As Paul says, again, I tell you, rejoice. And lest we think this joy is some sort of high-octane, momentary feeling of excitement, Paul says that this joy happens amidst suffering and pain. Joy, says Paul, is a practice. It's a disposition. Joy is a disposition toward the good, the bad, or the ugly, where we remain attentive to the one needful thing, Jesus. Joy is what comes when we humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. Christ, says Paul, took the form of a slave, becoming obedient even unto death on a cross. Joy is what comes when we are poured out, says Paul, as a libation, as a sacrificial offering for the benefit of others. Joy is what comes when we ponder what is good and what is true. It does not come, that is, when we bicker and complain about what so-and-so did. And we have to wonder whether Euodia and Syntyche had been sending hate mail to Paul about the other. It does not come when we notice only how we differ and cannot see how very much the same that we are. It comes when we see how amidst all of our differences that we are held together in the bond of love who is Jesus Christ. In short, this is what it means to be the church. We are to be a people of reconciliation, a people who model reconciliation for the world. We are not citizens of this world something we should all be incredibly attentive to these days. Go out and vote. Get involved in politics if you must, but only with a disposition of joy as citizens of another kingdom, minding one thing, Jesus. As we will learn more about this evening at our town hall meeting, we are becoming the body of Christ. And this becoming is an ever-occurring event. It involves our personal and collective answerability, such a great word, our answerability to and for the reconciliation of Christ in our midst. And if we believe anything about the scriptures to be true, this is perhaps that strand woven most clearly throughout its pages, which is that you and I are answerable for one another's reconciliation or lack thereof. So, if Steve has a problem with Betty, we all have a problem 
we all need to be reconciled. And until Steve and Betty are reconciled, none of us are right with God. No one said this body of Christ business would be easy. Nobody said the joy of Christ was always going to feel great. It's hard work. It takes time. It takes real emotional investment, energy, and effort on everyone's part. And it means being answerable to and for everyone. Now all that, and I haven't even dealt with the gospel passage for today, because each of these demands so much attention in their own right. But I'll say this much about our gospel passage. They're connected in the strange way by what Jesus says of the king regarding the wedding guest who snuck in without a wedding garment. The earliest Christians understood this wedding garment to be char the character of one who is baptized. In other words, baptism is what gets you ready for the feast of our Lord's table. However, to don the garment of Christ means that you strive in every moment to behave as Christ in the manner that Paul lays out in his letter to the Philippians. And if we do not seek peace and reconciliation with each other, living together as more than family, united in the bond of love who is Jesus, it's as if we walked in the church naked. Amen.